Okay, thanks for coming back for another week of discussing Rabinionah's four kitot, four groups of people who do not merit greeting the divine. And as we're, we're in the middle of discussing liars, we're up to the whole discussion of cases where it's permissible. And I will offer a personal confession that I struggle greatly with this issue because I think the slope here is so slippery, I, I greatly fear it. So last time we were talking about some of the possibilities of, of when it's permissible to lie. And we closed with a tshuva of Rav Chaim David Alevi in a book of response that he called Makor Chayim. He has another response in a book called Asei Lecharab, which is the, the, the statement that I use more often in my recent book, Judaism of the Postkim. It's full of the uh, well-thought-out, well-presented, well-reasoned response. It's a very interesting book, I think. So in the fourth volume of that safer, in the 62nd uh, discussion, so somebody asked him about a, a um, it was like an academic counselor, right? So a madricha, the woman who's in charge of a group of students, and she puts out a list of, of exams, which was burdensome and would have been intolerable. And the students complained, and they got angry, and they complained that after a few hours, she announces it wasn't true. She had made up the list, and she says, I did it just to test how you would react in a pressure situation. It reminds me, back when I was uh, single, which is uh, many, many years ago, I remember hearing this story. I don't know if it was true or apocryphal. If it was true, it was you. I'd love for you to write to me. My email is grothst at gmail.com. But the, the story goes that the guy's on a date, he stops the red light, and the young woman reaches over and turns off the ignition and takes the key out of the ignition. And there's at the red light. And the light turns green, and people behind him are honking. And he says, you know, give me the key back. And this, that. And there's a whole back and forth. But he doesn't lose his temper. He doesn't get angry. Finally, she gives him the key. He turns on the car. He drives through the intersection. He pulls over. He says, what was that about? And she says, I was testing your mida of kaas. I was testing your temper. And he says, did I pass? And she says, yes. He says, well, you failed and takes her home. So that's not the way you test people. You don't lie about these things. Even if you think that the lie has a good outcome, you're lying for a good price, you're not allowed to do that. So the person who had asked him the question, it said the question with two things. It said to the example and said, is that okay? And then says, but let's say that the example is not okay, right? What are the examples where... Sheker is okay. We're lying is okay. So that's what the person wants to know. So there, Rukhaim Devalevi feels the need to give a further answer. So for the second part of the question, when is it that, is it ever okay to lie? A lie is ever, you know, something, well, that draws out a much answer. He says, The person writing the question knew that the Gemara says, that for peace, we're allowed to lie. We saw this a lot last time, so I'm not going to do this part of it, so the, the proof of it. We saw that Hashem misrepresented or uh, or extended the truth when he spoke to Avram about what Sarah had done. Or we saw other examples of that issue. So the questioner says, I don't understand. The Gemara also says, The seal of God is truth. We're supposed to follow God, and God is truthful. So what's going on? Shouldn't we be always be interested in truth? So the Chaim David Levi says, in fact, peace, shalom, is a higher value. It's an erech elyon v'nizgav harbeyoter min It's actually much higher of a value than truth. And the Torah teaches it as well, because it gives us the example of Yosef's brothers who lie to him 
after their father passed away to maintain truth between them. The Medjish Rabba says, Gadol HaShalom, Rajbad says, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel says, Gadol HaShalom, peace is great. The brothers felt comfortable saying things that were not true. That's the Midrash Rabbi telling us they don't that 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 they don't believe that that is uh, the truth. And so too, Gemara Yevamot has that as well. Rabbi Ilah says the name of Shimon that you're allowed to change the truth for Shalom. The Chaim David Levi adds more than that. Rabbi Natan said it's a mitzvah to change. That Shmuel and Shol, again, we saw this last time. He's quoting sources that we saw him quote last time. Uh, so that's where you are. So why is that? In our tshuva now, he gives a suggestion for why that is. He says, The reason for this idea that peace is a higher value than truth. He says it's true. It, it is correct. It is accurate that the seal of God is truth. And if we were able to, we should always strive for ultimate truth. However, it doesn't exist in our reality, as all the examples he just quoted again that we saw last time have shown. In our world, in life, in human life, you, you, you need to make compromises about truth for the sake of other values, especially and most importantly, peace. If the saying of the truth in our world of Sheker, Tigrom Lemachloke, is going to cause strife or dissension, then you can change. You can say something different for the sake of peace. Because he says, what is the value in saying the truth if it's going to produce a fight? Right? It's just going to produce strife, dissension, and destruction, and things will go badly. And therefore, even Hashem does it, right? And even Yaakov does it. He points out that the verse says to Tiananmen Yaakov, Yaakov is seen as the one of the patriarchs who's the most, uh, most uh, forceful f- or the, the greatest force for truth. And yet, he tells Esav, I'm going to meet you. This is what kind of a lady says. When Esav and he meet, he says, yeah, I'm going to make my way to Harseyir. And obviously, he never does. So Rabbi Avog says, when you see that he never does, it shows you he didn't even mean to. He just said it as a way to create the peace and maintain the peace. Um, now, it is true that in that Kemar Rabbi Avog, I mean that Medrash Rabbah, Rabbi Avog says Yaakov will eventually come there in the times of Mashiach, but it's obvious that Esav didn't understand it that way. And therefore, Chaim David Levi says that it was clear to Chazal that Yaakov was allowed to lie to Esav in order to save himself. And that's what they learned. Another halacha that we spoke about that is worth knowing that he saw she's We didn't learn this, I'm sorry. Gemara Navodazar says, if an Avodazar, which in the Gemara's time did not mean a non Jew, it did mean a non Jew, but it meant more than that. In the non Jews in, in the time of the Gemara were people who would kill you any chance they got. That was the Gemara's impression of the non Jews around them, or there was at least a good chance of it. And therefore, if you were go traveling on a certain road and somebody says, oh, where's the directions to here? With a fellow Jew, you'd say, I'm going there. Come on, I'll take you. I'll show you. With a non-Jew, you find a way to separate because you have to worry that, and you don't tell them, or you even lie about where you're going, so they don't join you. It's another example. For the sake of peace, you're allowed to lie. Okay? Um, yeah. So that's the basic idea. And he says it all has to do with the fact that we live in an olam hasheker. We live in a world of non-truth, where the truth is not accepted. Meaning, ideally, 
if something is true, it's just true. And you live with it and you work with it. And yet, that's not the way it works. So imagine, and I'm not saying Sarah is any worse or better than anybody else, but but if Hashem said to Avraham that Sarah said, oh, and, and Avraham's old, that's what happened. But Avraham would get annoyed with Sarah. So that's the answer. That's the question. So that's where we, we find ourselves in this Olam HaSheker. When there's fighting, people will get into arguments with people. People will hate each other. People have emotions around things. And therefore, it's impossible or it's not pre- it's not even preferable to tell the absolute truth, always be involved in the truth, because it'll cause damage to that person. It'll cause damage to others. And therefore, we, uh, and therefore we're allowed to change the truth for the sake of peace. So Chaim Zabalevi's basic argument is that, yes, of course Hashem's seal is truth. And that's an important thing for us to know, that the seal of God is truth, and we... You have to stick to that and be aware of that. And he's going to say, and factor that into our various interactions as well. But in the world we live in, you can't live it. So you see sometimes people, I see fewer and fewer as time goes on, people will say, well, I'm just telling the truth. I don't care what impact it does. I'm just telling the truth. Isn't that the truth? So that, kind of the thing, that's a, it's a mistaken understanding of our world. In our world, that doesn't work. And he adds what he calls an important point. He says he believes, he understands that this was the truth. It's not just that human beings have become this way. In his understanding, this is the way God set the nature of the world. Because there's a midrash, there's a midrash in Breshit Rabbah, where Rabbi Simon says when God was thinking about creating people, so he consults with, so this is another midrash. The midrash points out that God says, we should make a man. And the question is, what's the we? And the tradition is that the Rashi quotes on Chumash that he consults, God tells him with the angels. So he consults with the angels. The Midrash says the angels were divided over the question of whether you should create people. Chesed, they build it off a verse that says, Chesed, Gashu, Shalom Nashaku, which is the verse in Tehillim, Pehe 85. Kindness and truth met up with each other. Justice and peace kissed. Chesed said, you should create people because they're going to do acts of kindness. Because that's true. People people are kind to each other many, many times. And that says, truth says, don't create them. They're going to be liars. Because he say, in the Midrash, it says, they're all liars. Tzedek, Omer, says, create people because they'll do tzedek. Whereas the truth, whereas peace says, but they're going to fight often. So that, the Midrash, I think, is portraying the basic question about people. We do many good things. Right? We, we, we do kindnesses to each other. We care about justice, and we do justice often. But we get into lots of fights, and we tell lots, lots of things that are untrue. The Midrash says, it's based on the verse in, uh, verse in Daniel, which says, emet arta. You threw truth down to earth. So uh, the, the, the Midrash says that Hashem did this as sort of way to resolve the argument, resolve the fight among the angels, he threw truth down to the earth, and then it's two to one because Tzedek and, and Chesed, stuck in Chesed, right? Tzedek and Chesed could say, create people, and it was only Shalom, left alone on its own. But the angels say to Hashem, what are you doing? It's your Chotam, it's your seal. Truth is your seal. What are you doing with it? They say, let truth back up from the land. So, And, and that's another verse in Tehillim, which says, Emet Me'eret Tzmach, right from there in Tehillim. That's the Midrash. Now that idea of Emirates, I think might also mean in that Midrash that Hashem made it that truth was more embedded in the nature of the world than it would have been otherwise. And that was seen maybe as mitigating 
uh, people's tendency to fall sick. How be that as it may, the Rav Kainz Levi quotes Harav uh, Tiferet Zion, who was the I think the father of somebody. I mentioned became a famous darshan in Jerusalem, and he be named Yadler. And this man wrote a commentary on Midrash Rabbah. Rav very much likes this idea that he shares. He says, the angels are completely spiritual, right? There's no physical body in the angels. And therefore, they can't understand what it means to be physical. And therefore, you can't tell them that the falsehood of people sometimes is helpful, right? The midata sheka, they help things. Like it says, as we've been talking about, that if you want to create peace, sometimes you're allowed to lie. So, for example, here's another example of Rashi that I struggle with. When we talk about Aaron being a Rodev Chesed, a Rodev Shalom, that Aaron found ways to foster peace. The example Rashi gives is that Aaron would lie to the two people involved in a fight, and through lying to them, they would make up with each other. So, I think, first of all, you'll often get caught in a lie, but also the fundamental idea that you build peace off of a lie. I personally struggle with, but that's what kind of the saying. saying it's wrong of me. He doesn't know me, but it's wrong of me to struggle with that. That's the way it works in our world. And therefore, I, what he understands, what, I'm sorry, what the Tiferet Zion said was that the idea of God's casting truth down to earth was, 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 was uh, clothing it in physicality. The truth would get a sense of where it belongs and where it doesn't belong within a material world. And therefore, truth would know, the angel would know, and people would know that sometimes, sometimes a lie is better than the truth because the lie, and we spoke about last time, about it's a full-fledged lie or a bending of the truth, but a lie will help further the uh, peace of the world. And then truth would agree that, yes, you should create people. And that's what it meant in the Midrash when it said the Malachim said, please let Emmet up. The idea was that Emmet had been expanded. Truth had been, had been educated. Truth had learned what it means to be true, which is just, this is just the Teferit Sion's idea of what the Midrash means, but it's a stimulating idea in the sense of it suggests that angels have what to learn as well. The angels are completely spiritual. And there's a value in that. There's an importance to that. But they're missing something too. And this angel gets cast down into earth and then can learn the lesson and then can be let back into heaven with a, you know, with a better knowledge of the way it works. In any case, Chandelaby quote closes. It's, it's, it's unnecessary to say. You know, it goes without saying, but I don't think it's true. I think it needs to be said. The only, he said, the only exception is, is is peace is, is is avoiding an argument avoiding a fight settling a fight resolving a fight other than that lying is a prohibition in the torah truth is the basis of the whole torah anybody who lies in general has a great sin right and we say <coughs> excuse me puzzle malachi says when we talk about torah scholars that one should follow we say torah he has in his mouth or today we would say she has in her mouth a Torah of truth. The Avlalon or the Avlalon they don't you don't find any wrong on his or her lips. The Shalom and walked in peace and on the straight path with me. And the next verse is that these are the people that you follow. The, the Gemara says these are the kinds of teachers you would follow. So Khan the Lady is staking out an important, a determined, 
and yet a difficult position to understand and to follow. His claim right now is generally we're required to tell the truth, basically. The exception is for the purposes of peace, but that's a very uh, hard thing. Meaning if you told me that, uh, just to name great Torah scholars, if you have a favorite great Torah scholar not meaning, I apologize, but let's imagine that uh, Rav Feinstein's or Rav Pesach Frank or this is Alman Meltzer, you said to me that they have an understanding of when a lie is necessary or stretching the truth is necessary, I would say, oh, okay, I hear that. But if we told all Jews, and Rukhad al is indiscriminate, he doesn't say it's restricted to those who already know. He just thinks where it's necessary, it's necessary. We're, we're somewhat trusting just random Jews to know that it's okay to lie sometimes. I don't know. I feel like there's lots and lots of people who will take that way too far. It'll be a problem of its own. That's, but that's what he says. He knows more than I do for sure. But it's not only for the sake of peace. And I can show that from another really interesting conversation. Now, there are two opinions of this. It'll take us next time as well. There are two opinions about this issue. So it could be that the correct way to read this issue would end, would stop it from being the kind of a problem that I'm discussing. So, but we'll start this time. We'll have to mull it over and think about it until next time. You look at Psachim Kuf Yud Bet Omen Aleph. Okay, page 112a in Psachim. There's a story there about Rabbi Akiva being in prison. Remember, Rabbi Akiva was put together by the Roman, was put to, sorry, death, not put together, put to death by the Roman authorities. Before that, he was in prison for a while. And Rabbi Shimon Yokai once came to visit him. So Rabbi Akiva's in prison. And the tradition is he told him five things, only one of which is important for us. The one that's important for us is he says, in because if you want to, now literally it means, but it's not a literal statement, it's a metaphorical statement. If you want to hang, be hanged, at least rely on or hang yourself on a large tree. The Rajbam says, in, in Psachim, it's the Rajbam who is the used commentary in the end of Psachim, in, in Ari Psachim, he says that it means, Lomar davar he understands, and this is one understanding, so we're going to have both sides here. But one understanding of what Rabbi Akiva said to Rabbi Shimon Yochai was, if you want to say something, and you want people to accept it, and you think they won't accept it from you, you can quote it in the name of a very important person. Again, talk about slippery slopes, right? Meaning I have a psak. I am 100% convinced that my idea is the correct idea. So I say, I heard from Moshe Feinstein that this is what happened. That's what the Rajbam understands Rabbi Kiva to telling to be telling Rabbi Shimon Yochai to do. Again, you can imagine because I've been convinced of many things, and not every time that I've been convinced of something was I correct. But once I quote in the name of somebody else, then it's out there and it's been quoted. So that's uh, that's I think part of the challenge. But that's what's being said. So it's eminently it's, it's clearly being said that one view, one reading of this Kamara is that that is permissible. If I'm really, really sure, I can quote in the name of somebody else who has greater weight, who holds greater weight with people who hear it, and then I can do that. If you look at Chuvat Rabbanai Gaon, he gives an example of this as well. So Rabbanai Gaon is much earlier than the Rajbam. He says the following. He says, somebody wrote, V'adam milta amara marav yudai kiyadvin kamei marav chaninoi marav samonoi. That one time, these two, Rav Chaninai and Rav Yudai, were sitting in front of Rav Yudai Gon. He was a very important figure. And the tradition is, 
when they were sitting in front of him, this is what he said. But the, the Rav Nutronai Golan says, who's writing this idea, he says, but Rav Chaninai, who was one of the two who was supposedly sitting in front of Rav, uh, Rav Yudai, and heard this, he says, Surcha Deliba, Letle Bidikukta Betrefa. When it comes to blemishes on the lungs of animals, there's no way to check them. And if you see a blemish, you have to just leave it. You have to say the animal is treif, is not has had a wound before it died, and you can't eat it. Umar Sanai, Sabanai, who was the other name that was given for who was sitting in front of Rabbi Yudai Gaon, had the same idea. Right? Um So but they they, they say it, they don't say I heard for Rabbi Yudai, they just say it. So what does it mean? It seems like Rav Yudai does not say it. And therefore, Rav Yudai says, He was sure he was correct about this. And now it's a big stringency. This is similar to our idea of glot kosher meat, where halakhically it seems like there could be other standards that would be acceptable, but everybody basically said glot kosher meat. In the time of, of the talker, of the speaker here, it was the other way around. People weren't willing to accept the idea that if there's a sirchah, it had to be treif. They wanted to check the sirchah, they wanted to check the lungs. In this situation, he thought you weren't allowed to. He says it. Nobody listened to it. Vitalia b'ma Rav Yudai. So he started saying, and he started quoting Rav Yudai as having said this, even though Rav Yudai had not said this. And, he, and Rav Yudai says that it's fine because that's what the Akiva said to do. So now we have Rajbam reading the Gemara that way. We have a Gaonic tradition. That, that in practice, somebody did that, not just in their uh, private conversations, you know, at the table, I'm annoyed people aren't listening to me, but in a way that affects the Halafi practice of the Jewish community. That's one way to read that Gemara. However, Rabinu Hananel, Rabinu Hananel, he lives at the very end of the 10th century into the 11th century. He's one of the early um, non-Babylonians Torah authorities. He leaves behind a commentary on much of the Gemara. It's very brief, but it's got rulings in it, and it's an example of Torah have already being have, having already started to migrate away from the academies of Babel. Because remember that in the time of the Gemara, there's big academies in Babel. They continue after the Gemara is completed for like 500 years till around the year 1000, and then they wane. They don't just disappear. They wane in influence, and they wane in, in prestige, and then they eventually close. Rebbe is a very early authority in terms of a commentary on the Gemara. And when he writes on Psachim, right, he writes, Hamishad Reim write the five things. And you should hang yourself on a great, powerful tree. He writes, Perush. If you want to know about the halacha of an intuition, She'al Chacham Gadol. Ask an important Torah scholar, ask an important scholar and do whatever he tells you. So that's a completely different reading of it. That becomes very important because this is a key issue. Am I allowed to misquote on purpose in order to have people accept my perspective or not? So Rashbam and Rabbi Tregon seem to say yes. Rabbi Hananel, also an important Torah scholar, important uh, figure, says something completely different. doesn't seem to think so. The Rosh and Chulin Says, This is just a topic about what kinds of blood are permissible or impermissible. He says, Even though these ideas were ascribed to a great Torah scholar, to a big tree, 
we don't accept it. So he seems to be thinking that people quote things in the name of somebody who might not have said it. I'm sorry, the other way around, I apologize. He seems to be quoting saying that they quoted an important Torah scholar, nonetheless we don't accept it. So the idea of faking it doesn't seem to be right, I think. So the Madana Yomto, who's Rav Yomto Lipman Heller, who also wrote the Tosot Yomto of the Mishnah, is an important Torah figure, although I feel like the works he happens to have written uh, did not continue being used for no reasons having to do with him. I think it's because people don't study the Rush as much as they once did. People don't study Mishnah as much as they did. So I feel like he wrote on literatures that have fallen out of, not out of favor, but out of wide use. So he writes on the on that Rush that I just read. He says, Even though he ascribed it to a great Torah scholar, who read Tam? Well, there was a story. The, 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 the specifics don't matter to me here because I'm not worried about blood and when it's prohibited or not. I'm worried about, I'm considering, concerned with who are they quoting and how are they quoting. The Madaniyomto thinks that when the Rush writes, even though he hanged himself on a great tree, now again, if I think that those words mean you're allowed to misquote, he's inferring from the Rush that the Rush men even though they lied and they said it was Rabbi Nutam, right? As Rabbi Kiva says, Rabbi Shimon Yochai, right? But in a tshuva to Rabbi because he wrote, it's possible Rabbi Nutam prohibited the whole chicken because it was taken out of the brine, and we don't know which part of the brine was in, which part of the red. Bishomea Shama So the Maradin Yom Tov says maybe the person wasn't lying, they misunderstood a responsible of Rabbeinu Tams, right? And therefore, that's what it is. And Rush is saying, well, they misunderstood. That's not what he was said. And therefore, we don't have to listen to Rabbeinu Tam on this issue. So that can go both ways, right? It's not clear to me that the Rush meant that they misquoted. It could be even though they found somebody great to quote. But even if they misquoted, possibly they misunderstood. That would be complicated as well. The Me'iri on that Gemara himself, I mean, I didn't find the Me'iri. I found it in a, in a safer called which came up by my Bar-Ilan recently as all these, it's like an almost encyclopedic work of quotes of Bishonim. On that Gemara the Mi'iri says, what it means is, it doesn't mean you're allowed to lie about who you're from. It doesn't even mean make sure to go and talk to somebody important. It means don't say anything unless you heard it from somebody important. And then say in his name, says the Mi'iri. So that takes it in a completely different direction. No, not at all you're allowed to lie about who said something. That's a misrepresentation of Torah. There is no such right whatsoever. Right? That's what the Miri seems to be saying. And really what it means is, if you want to be sure that you're going to know the right thing to say about Torah topics, make sure to study with great Torah scholars. Right? So, the, so, so we, that's where we're stuck. We're stuck in this two, this two-sided picture. We have these different perspectives, one side. And this becomes the kind of thing you can easily imagine that different communities of the Torah world, the communities of the observant world, would handle differently. And you'd say, well, I know that Rabbi so-and-so will, when he's convinced of something, quote in the name of so-and-so. And I can imagine myself saying, because I wouldn't have remembered the Gemara himself or this discussion, I say, that's horrible. How can you lie? But it turns out it's actually a makloket rishonim, already in the time of rishonim, that continues into the time of the achronim about how to understand the Gemara. Because if you look at the Muggen of Rome, in 156, one of only wrote in Orchaim, so you don't have to say what section of Shulchan Aruch he was commenting on. In chapter 156, which is where the Shulchan Aruch talks about after you finish davening and after you finish your morning stuff, you go off and you live your day. The Mugget of Rum chooses there to insert a bunch of mitzvot the Shulchan Aruch left out. Now, 
the Rambam attempted, I'm not even sure the Rambam quite succeeded, but the Rambam tried to write on all of halacha, which is a unique phenomenon. Uh, the Archa Shulchan came very close, but pretty much a unique phenomenon in Jewish history. Even if you think about it, the Gemara doesn't do it because the Talmud Bavli doesn't have all the Masech, so neither does Yerushalmi. So, so you have to go back to the Mishnah to say that they covered all of halacha. So the Rambam only wrote on Archaim, and there he points out the Shulchan Aruch, who we say dealt only with laws that are practical in our times, the Bagan Avram throws in a bunch of things that are halakhic that don't appear anywhere in Shulchan Aruch that are about how to live our regular lives. And one of them he says is, Hadimutar, the Bagan Avram says, Hadimutar, Lishanom Neashalom, that's when something is in the past, that's one thing related to our first topic today, only in the past, then he quotes the Gemara we saw last time about what things you are allowed to lie about, uh, so he doesn't seem to talk so much about lying prospectively to protect the peace. But we saw that many people say you can do that as well. But then he says, "Im shamadim, if he knows the halacha, v'nira lo shalacha, and he agrees with it, mutar lo mrobeshim adam gadol kiyechid lekavlemina." He says you're allowed to say it in the name of somebody else, so people will agree, even if you didn't hear it from them. And then he quotes, he says, I don't understand. There's a right that Rabbi Yonah quotes in his commentary on Brachot, which says the exact opposite. It says, if you quote a Torah scholar, right, and you didn't hear it from him, you cause the divine presence to leave the Jewish people, which is which is similar to our podcast that we're talking about here in Rabbi Yonah, who is also the author of Shari Tshuva, who talks about those who won't greet the divine presence. It says the exact opposite. So Megan Avram says, Tarkina says, I'm not sure how to put those together. I Meaning he's sure that the, there would be a Kiva in the Gemara and Psachim thought it was allowed. We've seen that there are others who read that Gemara differently. He's sure that, that it was allowed, but he knows Rabbi Niona quotes a Masechet Kala, which is one of these bright the Masechto Katanon, which said, You're not allowed to do that. And it's not allowed, not only is it not allowed, it's very damaging. So then I found an article um, where they quoted Rav Chaim Yarechaim Bachrach, who is a contemporary of the Magen Avram. And he um, says that in order to establish the halacha, you're allowed to change the names of the people who quoted it because what he says is, The key point of learning is achieving proper halacha, and therefore you can quote the wrong people. And therefore, so that's another example. So we're going to pick up from here next time because it continues to be a big debate about which side you come down on how it works and how you could or could not manufacture quotes and quote people. So that's part of our discussion of truth and not truth and where not truth might be allowed. So this has been our continuing discussions with Rabbi Yonah on the four ketot, the four groups who will not greet the divine presence. We'll see you next time to try to figure out where lies might and might not be acceptable. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.